Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From a secret location somewhere in America, this is your Chill Pack Hollywood Hollywood Hour. Chill Pack Hollywood Hour with Dean Haglund and Phil Lairness. Welcome to the Blue Swallow Motel in Tucumcari, New Mexico on an unseasonably rainy night here on the road. Road trip day. Oh, man. What is it? I was told there'd be no math. Day 29 of 32. This is your friend in podcasting, Phil Lairness, and sitting alongside me, uh, actress, producer, president of the Los Angeles Breakfast Club, Lily Holloman. This oh. is Lily Holloman. How you doing? You're listening to Roadside Conversations with Lil and Phil. No, that's not what they're listening to. They're <laughs> listening to their Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, and this is another uh, kind of... A pastiche, an oral pastiche, as it were, of a podcast. Later on in the show, you're going to hear Dean Haglund, Bruce Harwood, Tom Braidwood, the lone gunman, answering questions from a moderator and from audience members at a panel uh, that took place in Dallas. Uh, if you've been listening the last couple weeks, you've heard other uh, pieces from uh, the Dallas convention, MonsterCon, that took place. When was this? This feels ages ago, but it was only Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but until then, Lil, there's a few things that I want to discuss with you. Well, first of all, I would like to add that I did tell Dean that he should change his name to Hagwood so it be, would be Three Woods. And he said no one had ever suggested that to him before. And he would take it under advisement, but that the other two, Tom and Bruce, would be more probably likely to change their last name to Lund. Okay, none of this is what I wanted to talk about. They're going to be <laughs> a big part of the show later on. And now, late at night, two days late, you're making me have to edit, which I don't appreciate. What? That part. Tell this story, though. You were in Dallas with us, and uh, you really struck up a uh, friendship with the lone gunman. You were uh, especially uh, of the belief that you and Bruce Harwood 
were uh, fast friends, and uh, but you weren't sure. You, 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 Tom Braid would seem to be a, t- a tough nut to crack. You weren't sure uh, whether you'd really struck up a friendship with him. So when the even the weekend was over and uh, you were saying goodbye to them, and uh, what did you say to Bruce Harwood? I said, um, it was so great meeting you. I will definitely look you up when I'm in Vancouver next. And he said, well, what? yes, yes. I mean, you should at least enjoy Vancouver. <laughs> and then, uh, not sure how to respond to that, you offered an invitation should he ever be in Los Angeles, and he cut you off with... No, that probably will never happen. Okay, but meanwhile, Tom Braidwood goes out of his way, the one you weren't sure you won over, he goes out of his way uh, to make it clear that uh, he and his wife would be happy to see you. Yes, so we're heading up there tomorrow, actually. (laughs) That's day day 30, and then we're still going to be back in L.A. on 32. Uh, we we have been uh, many places just today, but uh, before I get to that, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Are you disappointed not to be in Los Angeles celebrating your birthday at the Los Angeles Breakfast Club? Um, no, because I like my birthday to extend, so um, I have a feeling we will celebrate upon my return. Okay. Uh, well, we've celebrated on the road by doing uh, a, a particular uh, exploration, an, a, an exploration with a particular emphasis, and that is Route 66, the Mother Road. Uh, on your birthday, which was, which was Monday, uh, we made it to northeast Oklahoma to begin exploring a stretch of Route 66 that we did not explore last year. And, uh, and that is the Oklahoma stretch. In case there's anyone listening who does not know what Route 66 is, it was, uh, as I said, uh, the Mother Road. It was known as Main Street of America. And uh, it was once the major thoroughfare connecting Chicago to Los Angeles. And uh, we really have fallen in love with exploring both the restored and preserved aspects of the road and its roadside attractions as well as its forgotten derelict and darn near destroyed attractions oh yeah uh and we've really been doing a good job these last two days what are some of the highlights for you highlights include the katusa blue whale um that's been i want i would say a lifelong dream because it has felt like a lifelong dream but i really just found out about it about six months ago um but we met the katusa blue whale on the afternoon of my birthday it was love at first sight um i was a little tense to be honest because i so admired this whale that i couldn't quite relax during the entire experience. I was a little (laughs) starstruck, Um, but I still very much appreciated meeting him and uh, would like to make that my house one day. You want to live there. You want to live at the Blue Whale. I do. Uh, It was once a a tiny little amusement theme park. Uh, It fell into, again, disrepair and disuse, and parts of it have been restored. It's it's a lovely little... uh, 
a roadside attraction. That's the best way to describe it. My favorite uh, point of discovery, and they've all been good. I mean, we we visited today in, uh, what was it, Shamrock, Texas. Yes. Uh, a service station and cafe that uh, is in the movie Cars. That's how iconic this uh, place is. And uh, a... A replica, a facsimile of it, exists in Disney California Adventure, the theme park. Indeed. Uh, so that was great. But my favorite part was where we had dinner last night uh, in downtown Tulsa. And people don't realize that Route 66 went straight through the heart of Tulsa. And uh, there we found a mid-century modern bank that at one point was the, what was it, the busiest auto park bank uh, hundreds, if not thousands of cars uh, driving through to do their business uh, at this bank in Tulsa. Retro-futuristic. It was like the the bank that Walt Disney would design in the late 50s of what next century banks will look like because he hadn't predicted the ATM machine so that there would be no banks at all. But this... Uh, it's 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 like a set out of an alien world in the original Star Trek. That's how cool the retro futurism is on this in this place, and it's been turned into a restaurant, and the food is outstanding, and the decor incorporating not only the architecture but many of the built-in design details. Uh, is just spectacularly fun as well. So that was my highlight, the vault in Tulsa. When you find yourself in Tulsa, dine at the vault. You'll thank me later. Tell them Chill Pack Hollywood Hour sent you. And, uh, and, and we had your favorite waiter of all time, didn't we? Yes, he was the best waiter I've ever had. He was equal parts knowledgeable about the food gregarious and didn't want to be our friend it was fantastic <laughs> because we go places to eat we don't go to make friends <laughs> exactly yeah uh hi hi i'm tim i'll be your uh, server this evening just let me know if there's anything you need tim what i need is for you to take two steps back <laughs> certainly emotionally maybe physically Perhaps you could just lie down in the back of the restaurant for a little while and let us look at the menu. Yeah, he never even told us his name. He did not. That was great. No, I think on the receipt it said <laughs> Server 301. So he may just have been a robot, a retro-futuristic robot. You know, the animatronics, the Disney animatronics programmed just to your birthday specifications. I think so. It was, uh, it was Westworld, if Westworld were a show about dining on Route 66. In mid-century modern buildings. So, uh, Lil, you skipped out on part of the big road trip. I did. To go shoot a movie back in Los Angeles. Yes, if they're calling them the, that these days. It is a movie. Los Angeles? Yeah, I don't know. They're still calling those people. Yeah. So my first... uh, It was a moving picture. So my first question to you, Lillian, about being back in Los Angeles shooting this movie is, how's Fuzz Aldrin doing? 
Buzz Aldrin is doing great. She gets a little stressed out when we leave her, regardless of the excellent care she's been given when we depart town. She's got um, abandonment issues, so she does stress. But um, I told her we'll always take care of her, and, you know, she needs to stay around for a while. So I think that relaxed her, and she's been well. As you know, I send messages to her. Yes, one one morning I heard Phil <laughs> speak saying telling someone that he loved them in the bathroom. Um I, I came was, out of I came out of the bathroom and you were I don't know bemused or puzzled or what, but you said who are you talking to? And I was so confused. I said I was going to the bathroom. I was in the bathroom. I was showering, whatever it was. And you said you told someone you love them. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, yeah, you learned my secret, which is that uh, at least once or twice a day I've been uh, meditating and sending messages to Fuzz Aldrin, usually visual images. But, uh, you know, letting her know, which you witnessed before we left, I, I sent her messages, visual messages and to try to calm her and uh it was a very um funny thing to hear because it was it was very like fatherly you're like all right i love (laughs) you oh my goodness (laughs) that's really funny that's really really bizarre i'm a I have deep emotional problems, especially where the cat is concerned. All right, so tell me about the movie. Uh, you went and shot this movie. Um, it's called Funny Story. Indeed. It is called that. It's an indie feature. It is written, directed, produced by Michael Gallagher, who has a very popular YouTube channel called Totally Sketch. And he and his fiance have been together since Chapman University, and they produced the film that I starred in called At Your Friends, which went to Slamdance in 2009. Or no, 2010. You won all sorts of awards for that. You don't need to keep bringing it up. (laughs) That's true. It's it's time to stop dining out on all those At Your Friends awards (laughs) you've been... You want. So this one, yeah, they continue to do really interesting stuff, shorts and features, and uh, often cast you. Uh, but not only do they cast you, they give you really, really good roles to play. Yes. Chances to do things you haven't done before. Yes, and it's such a relief when you find people who have faith in you. Uh, so I find most people have faith in me. <laughs> and, well, and, and far it's... from being a relief... It's such a burden. Uh, it's it's a crown of thorns. Other people's faith <laughs> is a crown of thorns. Well, no, as an actor, when somebody can really understand the range of abilities that you have, it's um, it's quite a gift. So I always <coughs> love working with them. The set is fun, and everybody is joking around and having a great time. So who do you play, and what's it about? I play Moon River. You know, because here's the thing. Nobody mm-hmm. cares if it was fun. Nobody cares. None of us care. I make movies, and I don't care if people had fun making them. Because, uh... 
That doesn't translate to them being good. Nor does it translate to them being bad. And I understand when you're doing it, it is fun to do it. But n- none of our listeners care. Well, they don't. They may say they care, but they don't care. I know. So what is it? True. What is it about? And who do you play? It is about a uh, man and his grown daughter and their broken relationship. And uh, there's a road trip involved and a trip to the Redwood Forest um, with the father, the grown daughter, and all of her women friends. Okay. And I am one of the women friends. And it and it, the big a big piece of the movie, the big payoff of the movie, takes place at a destination wedding, right? Um. Yes. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. Well, I just okay. did. I just did. And you. <laughs> anyway, I play one of the lady friends. And named... you perform the wedding. I officiate. Yes. I mean, this is a big deal comic relief supporting character. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, for those people who don't remember, there was a little indie uh, more than 20 years ago now that launched a bunch of careers called Four Weddings and a Funeral. And uh, the, other than Hugh Grant, who of course was a huge breakout, and Kristen Scott Thomas was in that. People forget about that, but that uh, did very well for her. And some other people as well. I mean, Andy McDowell already had a career. But on these shores, the big breakout supporting part, Rowan Atkinson. And why? Because he officiates the funniest wedding. And I have often been compared to Rowan Atkinson. You have. Mr. Bean, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Bean. (laughs) So, uh, but the point that I'm making is uh, none whatsoever except a question which is, uh, would officiating a wedding, especially a comedic wedding, uh, be something that had been on your bucket list as an actor? Oh, that's a really great question, because I do have this list of kind of classic movie experiences. Right. I started a slow clap in a stadium at a high school homecoming queen pageant. Slow clap, y'all. Slow clap. Yeah, that's great. That's... I started a slow clap, right? Just to make sure you understood that. No. Um. So that was a huge bucket list item. I hadn't considered officiating a wedding in a movie, but now that I've done it, I would add it to the list. Yeah, it should have been on there. Um, just like my to-do list, I'll add things that I've done that weren't on the to-do list, yeah. just so it looks like I got more done. <laughs> but I would also definitely like to save Christmas at some point in on that list. It's not in the movie I would just film, but just to clarify. Right. Um, um, you, you mean like, oh, it doesn't look like we're going to have Christmas this yes. year. Yes. But wait, here's Lily Holloman. Exactly. Um, but so, I never actually got around to talking about my character. I don't know if people can hear this, but this is thunder outside. We're It's the first day of summer tomorrow. And uh, we got light, light. We have been lightning okay. rods in our lives, in our careers, but never more so have we been lightning rods than driving throughout the South on the road home on this trip. We have hit the most amazing lightning and thunderstorms uh, several days ago. Over the on Friday, heading into the Mississippi Delta on Sunday night in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and here we are Tuesday night in Tucumcari. And we're we're lightning rods. 
Well, that's true, and Phil is from the West Coast, so he doesn't understand that East Coast, especially in the South, it's lots of summer storms. That's a good summer thing, so it's exciting. Everywhere we go, people talk about how they haven't been having them, they weren't expecting them. (laughs) We show up, we come through like the locusts, and uh, we leave rain in our wake. I don't know. That wasn't the greatest analogy. But what I'm trying to get at is you played the auto harp in this movie that you shot. I played a character named Moon River, which might be why I keep bringing water to places. Maybe it's me. That's good. That's really, really good. And the instrument you played was the auto harp. Yes. I learned the auto harp in two days. I got an email from the director, and he said, Do you know how to play auto harp? And I watched a YouTube video. And to be frank, it looked really easy, and lo and behold, it is kind of easy. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this instrument, but it's um, Dolly Parton uses it a lot. The Carter family uses it. It's basically a mini harp with buttons that you push for the chords. So Are the Carter family... Is the Carter family, are they still an ongoing concern? The original family of country music, are they still recording? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) All right, because you did that in present tense. And, uh, you know, odd thing, we went to Bristol, Tennessee, slash Bristol, Virginia. Bristol, Virginia bills itself as the birthplace of country music because... The, the, they had a recording studio the Carter. where the Carter family made their first recording. Okay, so it's Bristol, Virginia, birthplace of country music, the birthplace of country music museum, therefore also in Bristol, Virginia. But here's the deal. The recording studio where those sessions took place, across the main street, which is State Street, in another state, in Bristol, Tennessee. Br- people may have seen... Bristol, downtown Bristol in that Geico commercial, but literally the state line separating Tennessee from Virginia goes down the middle of the main historic Main Street district called State Street. And yet the recording studio is in the Tennessee side, but the Virginia side claims to be the birthplace of country music. Now, I said this was interesting. Maybe that was a loose step. You need to loosely define Phil loves weird border stuff. He likes, you know, he scoped out on the map, you know, where there's like a corner with three states. Um, is there always three states on a corner? I don't know. There's He's loves anything with a strange border situation. So that's why we went there. We actually saw the Geico commercial. He denies that that's the reason why we stopped there, but it's 100% true. We stopped in Bristol because who, the Geico commercial. When you commercial. keep referring to me in third person, like I'm not here, who is it that you're talking to? The listening audience. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. All right. So we've covered your movie. And uh, very cool that it all came together, especially that they could film your sequences uh, not only in the uh, in the few days you gave them, um, but that it fell right between here. Here are these scenes involving you officiating a wedding fall right between you attending to uh, very unusual weddings. Uh, yes, and it was. Um 
Kiss Matt, I guess. Two real weddings and a fake wedding. And, uh, and, and I said unusual because these were out of the ordinary. I don't know if there is an ordinary kind of wedding, but they were both uh, b- delightfully, in my experience, out of the ordinary. Yes. Uh, w- w- one in Washington, D.C. and one in the Mississippi Delta. and uh, Both in backyards of homes. Oh, that's true. That's true. And uh, both were just uh, great, great times. So, um, so Lil, the other thing we need to talk about, I guess, unless there's uh, anything... Well, two, two things, actually, that we need to talk about. I mentioned that you're the president of the Los Angeles Breakfast Club. I've talked about the Breakfast Club on this show. Dean has mentioned it from time to time. If he was living in Los Angeles, of course, he would be a member. And I've started a podcast. Dean now. Hagwood? Dean Hagwood. Uh, I've started a... Uh, now I can't cut out see that was very smart of you because now i can't edit out the story at the beginning or i'd have to go through the weeds to cut out that little reference um anyway uh i've done i've been doing for five months now a monthly podcast about the los angeles breakfast club and as soon as we get back to la i gotta get the uh get episode six cut together uh, but is there anything coming up at the Breakfast Club that you are particularly enthusiastic about? Well, there's a couple of members-only exclusive events that I'm very excited about. Um, the day after we return to L.A. on a Sunday, we're do- having a special private tour of the Museum of Neon Art in Glendale by Eric Linksweiler, who's one of the preeminent neon historians he literally wrote the, the book literally wrote the book on he neon would be art so jealous that we're at the blue swallow hotel right now he's never actually been here i mean we've got he's got to come out because this this sign is the crown jewel well, and it's, neon. Uh, well the entire courtyard yeah the, the the entire courtyard is 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 a glow with neon majesty all right, uh, there's that. Any Anything else? Any other yes. presentations? Um, well, yes, there's a presentation by an archivist with the photo friends through the L.A. Library who's going to come and talk about the Bob Baker marionette collection. She's Wow, you have just given my global audience the most site-specific presentation. I mean, that is something... Everybody from around the world should come to L.A. before this tiny, tiny puppet theater closes. It's a Bob Baker marionette. It was opened in the 1960s by Bob Baker himself. You know who I'm talking about. The puppeteer. Come on, German fans. You know who she's talking about. Um, but it is a time warp. You go in there and has not changed since the early 1960s. In fact, I'm willing to throw this offer out uh, to all our listeners from Sydney, Australia. If you show your passport and mention Chill Pack Hollywood Hour at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater between now and the time it closes, you will get $1 off admission. Admission. Yeah. And if they don't honor that, just see me and I'll give you a buck. <laughs> yeah. But not only do they put on a full puppet show with these amazing handmade marionettes from that time, then you go into the birthday party ice cream room 
and always have little tiny cups of ice cream with little wooden spatulas. Spoons. Little wooden spoons. Okay, so you you come for the threadbare decades-old marionettes, and you stay for the carnation ice cream. Anyway, we the no, it's the cool. Look, it yeah. is, it is. Uh, it I'm I'm making fun. I mean, it is. It is it, really cool. It's it's an important piece of Hollywood history, and uh, and um, the Breakfast Club Foundation sponsored archiving all of the puppets through photographs, and she's going to come and make a presentation about those on July nineteenth. You know, I'm a part of that uh, foundation. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lil, Twin Peaks is back. Yes. And uh, certainly Dean and I haven't really discussed it, save a, a brief exchange really between, I think, Bruce and me a couple weeks ago. But uh, Bruce Hardland? <laughs> but this show <laughs> is just crushing it. David Lynch and Mark Frost are just absolutely crushing it. Uh, it is uh, not only the best, maybe the best work Lynch has done. It's certainly a culmination of everything he's done. It's the best television on television, but also some really great performers are getting a chance to strut their stuff in a way they haven't in, in a long time, if ever. Uh, not just Kyle MacLachlan, but Naomi Watts is just Oh yeah, it's it's a wonderful combination of him being able to take sixteen hours to explore narrative. Seventeen. Seventeen, um, having the budget to make it look great, and also having the um, restrictions of the television format of having producers in a network. And not a lot of restrictions. He seems to be able to do what he needs to do. But the structure, you know, he has something to push off against. Yeah, because although 17 hours uh, seems like, well, what's the restriction? Because he said, this is not, don't think of this as an episodic television show. Think of this as a 17-hour movie Mm -hmm. uh, that's cut up to give to you in pieces. And really, like the reviewers and the bloggers are starting to realize now that seven episodes have aired damn if he wasn't telling the truth because there are other uh you know showrunners who have taken that approach and have made that claim and yet still yes even great shows like breaking bad or fargo might have all the quality of a great indie movie all right um Uh, of days gone by. They may have all the quality of that and all of the character and the narrative is coming out of character. But still, even with a continuing storyline, there's a degree to which every episode stands alone. Every episode has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It follows a multiple act structure, each episode. Twin Peaks, The Return, eschews that all Together, mm-hmm. there is no structural through line to these what we're going to call episodes through these hours of them. There isn't. But once you got through the end of episode five and six, you realized, okay, that was the end of Act One. 
It really was. And by episode seven, we are firmly into act two now and heading towards what we expect to be some kind of narrative midpoint reversal. Now, all that said, um, that I mean, that's the restriction that you're talking about, because in his movies, when he's produced them himself, like Inland Empire, there wasn't as much structural cohesiveness as there is now. But again, what's fascinating is it's the structural cohesiveness of a movie, not of a TV show. It's, yeah, it feels like the culmination of everything he's been experimenting with that came before in, in really expert artistic execution. We will maybe get back together to discuss this. Uh, when the show has run its course, we're, I'm not going to give any spoilers to anyone. However, again, um, if you haven't been watching it uh, and you think you got to go back and watch the original show, I know so many people who are binge watching the original show. One of the things they've done quite well is to explain to you while watching this series what happened in the old show. Those plot points you get reminded of, they get explained uh, in occasionally some very delightful uh, expositional scenes mm-hmm. uh, that are really some of the funniest scenes. What you would be well served to be familiar with is the film that came out after the series that was a prequel called Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and honestly read Mark Frost's book, the Secret History of Twin Peaks. This is where they're really drawing from and where a, 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 a good knowledge is helpful. I guess, but I would argue that if you have seen the original series and know Dale Cooper really well... Whoa, and somebody agrees with me. <laughs> no, they disagree with you. Oh, whatever. <laughs> um, I think it's it's good to know who Dale Cooper was in the original series. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I'm not saying uh, don't watch the original series, but I am saying I think people are giving these other pieces short shrift and even Lynch himself. And this is why Mark Frost wrote the book was these are important pieces to understanding Uh, Again, not understanding in terms of plot. This is how people think. And if you're approaching it about plot with David Lynch, there is plot and there are answers and there are solutions. But David Lynch's work makes sense. And you and I have discussed this a lot. They make sense emotionally um, because he is a genuine uh, seeker of what it means to be human, of the human experience and that is an experience that is uh, meant to uh, be lived emotionally. Um, and, the, you know, the, a narrative construct is a product of the conscious mind. And David Lynch is far more interested in the unconscious patternings that affect our emotional experiences. Absolutely. And I started crying at one point during episode three four not because the scenes were emotional but or they were emotional but not because they were sad scenes but because it made me it reminded me how few artists we have of the quality of david lynch making films tv um today 
I, I may have mentioned this on an earlier show, but our friend Luke Y. Thompson, in his in his review for Forbes, uh, he wrote his headline was along the lines of David Lynch's return to Twin Peaks proves that yes, we can have nice things, and it is so emotional for me to think that uh, twenty five years later, which in some ways feels like a blink of an eye, Lynch is back at the peak of his game. And giving us what we what we really need. Um, so let's let's uh, come back, revisit the return to Twin Peaks when the whole show has been released. But before we sign off and hand it off to uh, the aforementioned panel featuring the lone gunman, uh, tell about your experience of how you saw parts three and four, which were aired back to back on a Sunday night uh, Memorial Day weekend. And you saw them in a very, very cool setting. Yeah, I went to see it at the Texas Theater in Dallas. The Oak Cliff neighborhood. The Oak Cliff neighborhood in Dallas, which is where Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested on the day that JFK was assassinated. Um, He ran into the theater and sat in one of the seats. After allegedly shooting a police officer... He, uh, yeah, he f- uh, fled into the Dallas, uh, the Texas theater. And they raided the theater and, and dragged him out. And many, many years later, uh, it has been restored. And it's a great venue if you're ever in Dallas. I highly recommend checking it out. They have, they show mostly vintage movies. They um, did not advertise or charge to show Twin Peaks because obviously they weren't allowed to make money off of it, but I got the inside word that they were doing that, and so was able to watch it on the big screen, and that was I think they were calling really it, added to the experience. Were they calling it uh, return uh, Black Lodge nights? Yeah, and that's very very cool. All right, Lil, thanks. Uh, we'll see you on the road. See you on the road. All right, everybody. Uh, here, Like I promised, here's the panel discussion from Dallas, The Lone Gunman. Hopefully it won't be hard to hear, uh, but if it is, I promise we'll do better next time. Our next guests were a mainstay on the show, The X-Files, and I've, I, I've never had a chance to meet any of them yet, and I'm incredibly, I've got so many questions, we all have questions, and I will worry in advance that none of them have any idea what Chris Carter was doing. They do not have the answers. They do not know what the live boot is. We'll find out what they do know. Please say hello to the Lone Gunman. We have cards. Yeah, we'll go in order. No, don't go in order. We should just sit down where it is.
script for the first and first appearance. I'm, I'm curious, and I just want to go down the line. Um, tell me what your thoughts were about your characters as, like, you're given size, you're saying, okay, do I want to go to read this part right in the rest of it? Yeah. Well, let's see, my age is that I don't know what this is. It's FBI's and aliens never heard of the show. Just go, they don't know what they want. And sure enough, in the audition room, normally you read with other guys with long hair. Like, it's all the same long haired guys reading for crackhead and drug dealer and stuff like that. <laughs> And so we came in, and because the, everybody didn't know what they wanted, it was comedians, it was bald-headed muscle guys and fatigues, it was across the board, they had brought in everybody to try to figure out who these characters are. And I'm like, I think I'm in the wrong room. These are none of the guys I normally audition with. And then uh, we read, and, uh, and then I kept reading other, with other actors who were running for uh, buyer's role, and including, from Stargate, Walter Harriman, my best friend Gary Jones, auditioned to be buyers, and uh, we said after, oh, we'd be so cool, we're best friends, and we'd be in this thing, and he didn't get it. Anyway, uh, so that was, uh, so I had no idea what the hell was going on in my agent, so, and still don't. <laughs> What man wanted to do? Well, I mean, she, uh, she phoned me up and said, have you ever heard of the show called, um, Rustling Paper, The X-Files? And I said, no, what's that about? So there's these FBI agents and they chase you up walls and stuff. And I said, that sounds like the stupidest idea. <laughs> and, uh, and so then I read the sides and I, it said in the sides that my character was clean shaven. I just broke the spirit. And I went, oh, well, we'll get the part because I'm not, because uh, I think most producers uh, lack imagination. So you believe when you're in an audition, you have to help them along. You have to encourage them to believe you could be could be a role. And I figured little beard, not him. And I went in and read once, got the part. Right. We didn't even read together. Yeah. We didn't meet until the trailer. So yeah. Yeah. And then we didn't meet Tom until. Well, it was a little bit different for me. I actually, uh, I had been that. Is that the time it was only going to be the one episode? It was yeah, that 
Oh, yeah. Just give that one line to the AD. How hard can that be? Yeah. <laughs> we'll never see him again. We'll never see him again. Yeah. All those guys. And yeah, that's, that's the thing, too, about TV, especially when you're, 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 you're working in Hollywood. You've got a ton of guest appearances and one-liners, and you've you're, you're, you got your theory and the rest of it. So how surprising was it that the fan reaction was so strong? At a time when there wasn't really social media or the web or the internet to power something. Well, it really was the first, because I know I was at uh, university still, I think, because I had my computer science friends, and they were teaching me Unix code to get onto a Amber screen, which was a alt-tv X-Files newsgroup, and then we would search lone gunman, rn slash dash rn gunman, and then it would come up all the leads on the chat, and then when we showed up, they went, aha, this proves that Chris Carter and the producers are lurking in their newsgroup because they created characters that are reflecting this culture. And then Chris Carter actually admitted, yeah, that's exactly what we were doing. So then we would bring back the government to ramp up the, the alt-TV X-Files newsgroup chat. And then this became the symbiotic relationship between on internet fans. It's one of the first TV shows to do that. Now it's expected. Like now you, you, know, you can't even get a TV show unless you have 10,000 fans already following you for a show that doesn't exist. So, so, so Puerto Rico. <laughs> in Puerto Rico, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but yeah, it's, 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 it's the plot. It's it. <laughs> oh, I see. Your yeah, no idea we were going to get called back. Yeah, you know, sure say goodbye, and that was that, so. In fact, if you look at the first three to five episodes, my glasses uh, are different, because they just came from the giant plastic bag of front glasses, <laughs> and then I would just chuck them back in, and then walk away. And then the prompt guy goes, do you remember which glasses you wore last night? Oh, we just dig through. Did this look back up? Not really. Okay, what international talk show were you listening to? 
depends on that one. Yeah, there, there's, uh, there's spiders and snakes in Australia. Uh, I moved there two and a half years ago because my better half got promoted in her job, and it's geographically irrelevant where you would be in that UK state, so, because we're all connected. So. How big is a spider you can hear? Okay, so the highest of a spider, yeah, I have a picture of it, but my hand is beside it on the wall, and it's the same size as my hand. So, this spider goes across uh, one evening, we're watching TV, and it's on the hardwood floor, and it's like it's cat dancing. So you can hear it go click, 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 click. And we're like, so go, what's all that clicking sound? And then we turn, and there it is, walking across the floor. And so we spook it, and then it, it tries to speed up, but it's like a party model, and let's go, just like, dee, 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 dee. it can't get traction on the heart of the floor and it's trying, until it gets up to the wall, and then it might off. So yeah, so these are looming, what's that? When you see a giant spider, the last thing you're thinking of is, where's the camera? Yeah. <laughs> no, really, I mean, I'll start telling you that story and I want to run out of the room. Well, luckily it's not poisonous, and it, it, uh, it eats cockroaches and ants and stuff, but it can also, uh, there's one guy has a video of a huntsman on his fridge with a mouse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got a, a live, eating a mouse. So that's how big the spider is, it can attack and catch mice. So you might have a cat, it's that like you just run, you let the huntsmen hang around your house and go to the giant scary fucking things on the Because, you know, uh, we have rabies here in North America. If rabies ever got there and they got to the kangaroos, it would wipe out the population. Because those kangaroos are big, they're muscular, and they can kick you. Uh, they're, they're, they, there's one that was like six, seven, and just like broad-shouldered, and it wouldn't leave a neighborhood up in Brisbane. So they're like tearing them and shooting away, but they would just sit there and like stare everybody down. And like cars had to drive around. So put rabies into that thing and everybody's dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great honor. I love y'all's characters and the fact that you were on more and more and just made the show great. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I think we've not figured out where our next side by number who is. I was wondering if you guys could discuss the, the one shot of the president and maybe reflect a little bit on Right. However, it was, a, it was 13 episodes, it wasn't just the title. Right. Yeah, you point that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody see the Lone Gunman spin off?
And uh, it was my driver, and he says, yeah, but you're not going to the airport today. All the planes are going to And I said, well, so I said, what? Why is that happening? He said, well, a plane has flown into the World Trade Center. And I thought, initially, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, nice joke. And I went, no, he's, he's the guys who pick us up and drive us to the airport, they have no idea who we are. It was just the job. And, and I thought, initially, well, it like a single end, you know, like a, like a Cessna or something? And then I put on CNN, and as you probably don't remember that day before it was being shown over and over from many, many angles of where it happened. Hey, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. So you said turn on your TV. Turn on your TV. So we were there, we were in LA for, they tried to introduce, well, I'm sure probably there's still a lot of things going on. LA was just a dead silence. We went up on the balcony in the hotel. You couldn't hear a car, you couldn't hear a plane. It was the oddest. It was really, really, really yeah. And uh, we were there. They tried to get us out. They kept saying that, oh yeah, we'll, we'll put you on a flight as soon as they're available. Yeah. And we were there for almost five days, four days. Four days. And finally we decided to phone them. Because we were getting really nervous. As, as, as aliens living in, a, yeah. in, in, in America, which was under attack, we irrationally felt that we were better out of the country than yeah. We were concerned that water would get. Also, we were the home gun. We were in a show where planes flew into the World Trade Center. Why would you know? I mean, crazy paranoid, but why not arrest us? You know? So we called Fox, we called Fox, we said, find us a car that we can drop off in Canada and we'll get ourselves out there, and that's what we did. Yeah. We got in the car and we drove home. I mean, it's a little tiny. He didn't he had driven in like 45 years. <laughs> He even showed the price. How long were you on the road? It's like 48 hours. We stopped for like three hours outside Mount Shasta or something like that. And I remember when we crossed the border at like, was it 10 at night or something like that? We went, hooray! And we said, stop, stop, they'll pull us over. Thank you. 
just said that if I could really get it on the news again. And I think we were sure that the pilot would not be available. We thought about it. Well, that because they would have to leave it up. What they had done originally, because the Dutch went more had the same problem. And it wasn't even that the, a plane was, you know, rerouted or hijacked. Just there was a plane exploded, and they were worried that that injury was going to right. upset. So they actually did put both versions of the pilot out when they did the video release. Right. Schwarzenegger had a movie, too, that was on their oh, plane. That's what came out. And yes. they, they, they yanked that from the theaters. And then my friends were sci-fi writers. They would throw it on Farscape and a ton of other stuff. And they had written this really weird thing called A Town Called Banana. And it was this surreal thing that everybody hated. And then the, the 912, their phone's ringing off the hook. Every studio wants to read this town called Banana. Because everybody freaked out going, what do we do now? We can't do any of these action things. We can't. Let's do that really stupid surreal thing. Maybe that's exactly where our consciousness is at. And so suddenly, and of course it never got made because it was stupid and weird. But, <laughs> Did your own paranoia start to get ratcheted up just a little bit, or is it, were you able to just leave it at the door when you left the South Station? Well, good question. I actually uh, uh, started meeting a lot of those, uh, like Jordan Maxwell, Dr. Roger Lear, who had removed alien implants. Uh, uh, we, and in fact, I did a documentary called The Truth Is Out There, where the camera crew follows me around as I actually talk and interview with a lot of these guys that I met. Uh, the X-Files and Vince and goes, hey, do you want to meet these guys in, in real, real life who makes this on? And, uh, you know, and then they would have outlandish theories and, or seemingly outlandish theories and then you go, well, that can't be true. And then they have a stack of paper because they're all, they've spent their lives researching this stuff. They're not theorists, they're researchers, right? They have gone in, they have, uh, you know, uh, remove things from people's toes that shouldn't be there, that wasn't, that didn't leave a scar. You know, that this, the whole Dr. Roger Lear thing is quite a whole other panel. Uh, come to my table, you know, to tell you all about it. But, uh, but so that as you uh, try to repeat this, or you go, well, that can't be right, then they go, well, uh, here's this, here's this information. And then, Years pass, and then all of that sort of comes to pass. A lot of the stuff that they said, you know, has now proven to be true. So, so you go, uh, <laughs> and then you do a comedy show. <laughs> That's how you go. Yeah, exactly. My paranoia was unrelated, because as an actor, I've been working for some time before I got on the show, but I never been recognized. And then, uh, like four years in to the X Files series, suddenly people were starting to recognize me on the street, and I'm. We're kind of poor with names. So people go like, oh, Bruce. And I'm like, do I know you? <laughs> because I, I know only people who know me would do this. And, uh, and so then, yeah, I did go through about like, a year and a half of just lynching. Every time someone recognized me. Because I was like, I don't know who you are. Give me some context, quick. But <laughs> <laughs> actually, I did go Did you? Yeah. But then there were times when people didn't recognize you. Oh yeah, more often. Huh? <laughs> Usually, I'm standing between you two. Right. It's like I'm standing all alone. Then you come in and go, ah. Well, okay, I'll tell you this, this story. 
my wife has a, a trading card uh, with a free gun and she would uh, you know, be visiting with friends or going to parties or whatever, but I didn't have to be, I just thought I was working or whatever. And she, people would say, so what does your husband do? He's an actor. Oh, has he done anything we don't know about? Well, he's on the X-Files. I love the X-Files. Who is he? Oh, he plays uh, one of the long gunmen. You know, oh, I love those guys. They're great. So he's the short one, right? <laughs> no, no, he's not the short one. Oh, he's the guy with the long blonde hair. No, he's not the guy with the long blonde hair. Well, who is he then? <laughs> Spoiler alert. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> but with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.